0: Well, shit to bed, everybody. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever the hell you listen to this podcast this week. But welcome to another edition of Conversation with Shelby Green. I am your host, the main man Shelby Green himself. And today we got a lot to talk about. First, I want to get this out of the way. We're going to get the pro wrestling talk out of the way real quick for you guys. Basically, what happened was I recorded a bonus episode for the Ring of Honor uh, Final Battle pay-per-view and the uh, AEW... Winter is coming that edition of Dynamite this past was I recorded it Thursday and was going to drop it Friday morning. I uh, was in the middle of recording that and I had a, my um, girlfriend's Alexa Amazon thing went off. And basically what happened, somebody was calling it, calling my girlfriend. For some reason it, hooked, it went through her Amazon thing. It went through. I paused the episode waiting for the call to end. Started recording, and for whatever reason, the second half of what I recorded was on and able to download. I spent about an hour on the editing process, trying to combine both shows, and it would not come out well enough. Ever since GarageBand gave this new fucking update on my uh, laptop, it hasn't really worked out that well. So, unfortunately, there will be no bonus episode. So, so, what I'm going to do is, I'm going to start it off by giving you a summary of what I saw from Ring of Honor Final Battle and and the, AE, uh, the um, AEW um, winner is coming up. So, so I'm going to go ahead and pull up uh, Ring of Honor. What I, rem- I remember a lot of things about it. I did not watch the Zero Hour show. I didn't get to it. I watched this late. So go ahead and open it up. First off, they're in Arlington, Texas. Obviously, Dallas, if you want to them, the College Park Center and Arena. And when I first noticed the, uh, the, the, the announcers um, – the announcers, uh, p- sorry, apologies, hold up, guys, I pulling production. The announcers, Ian Recombeo, uh Caprice Coleman, um, opened it up saying this is the biggest gate in the history of Ring of Honor, and I applaud them for doing that, I really do, but I will let you know, and this is, this is a message for Tony Khan, I'm not a booker. I've never worked in the wrestling business a day in my life, but I've watched this, this product. I've watched professional wrestling for over 20 years, and I started watching wrestling when I was three or four years old. And my dad can back that. But I will let this be known. Tony, if you're going to book a fucking pay per view for your show, I know it's the biggest skate ring of arms I've ever had, but it was half empty and it's horrible to shop production. That building was empty. Like go to an arena, you can fill it up and charge ticket prices. People are gonna pay for. And by the way, people would have gave a shit about this, but problem is Tony, you put a four o'clock pay-per-view on a Saturday. And yes, I know NXT deadline was on this thing. Yes, I know the UFC had a pay-per-view on that night. But you're gonna book a four o'clock show in Dallas, Texas, with no really no booking behind it, no advertisement on your AEW program, no promotion whatsoever that I saw that would sell. So how the hell were you expecting to fill up in a building that sits that seats between five to seven thousand people? Capim on the seating capacity you want for that event. Just 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 a thing of me, but I'm gonna give you my thoughts on both shows. So the opening show, uh, the open match for this show was Blake Christian A.R. Fox versus uh, Roosh and Darley Hiskago with Jose the assistant and Pre- uh, Preston Vance. Obviously, Preston Vance was Dark Order, part of Dark Orders, uh, number ten. He turned on Dark Order. Preston's got a little bit of look to him, so you think maybe it will work something out with this. Black Christian, I've seen on some indie shows, some GCW shows here in Indianapolis. Ar Fox, I remember from the Ring of uh, from the uh, Lucha Underground show, and Roosh. Roosh is a good hand. I've seen him around a little bit, and. Darlis Cardis, I can't say his name right, but I've never seen him either. I've never seen him. First time I watched him. So I would make this real clear. Um I'm just gonna give you a score. I'm not gonna go through the whole match thing. I'm gonna highlight key points, but I will let you know this. This match was dog shit. Didn't like it at all. Um opening part of the match, Blake Christian starts it out, does a little thing. They A.R. Fox and Rushkin in there that throw some stiff chops into each other. Um they do they do a spot with Rush and so They do a spot with um, with AR Fox, they like side slam him or body slam him on the, the steel steps. I'm thinking, okay, they're gonna do a they're gonna do a uh, get the heat on AR Fox, and immediately AR Fox tags Blake Christian in, and they get the heat on Blake Christian. AR Fox makes the comeback, botch finish, sloppy all around. The comeback, the finish of the match, referee looks like a botch finish. Then Roosh, so AR Fox, Blake Christian pick up the win. Roosh and Darlissio go out to the ring, and they act like they're gonna get their heat in the worst possible way, which no made no sense. The crowd was just flat. So opening this up, usually a tag team match or a high spot match you want to watch. And it's just, it was just a dud. Didn't like it. The second match we had on the night was Athena versus Mercedes Martinez for the Ring of Our Women's World Championship. And Athena made some controversy. Com- I don't know if it's controversy, but She made some comments about how, you know, the way she works. If I worked, if I was a man and worked this way, nobody would bat an eye. No, here's the thing, honey. There are three type of categories in wrestling you work. Stiff snug, sloppy. And I'll rephrase this with snug. Snug, you're laying your shit in, but you're protecting the guy. Stiff, you lay your shit in, you may be protecting, but some things really hurt. Sloppy is when you're not connected on anything. And some of the shit you're doing, is like, what are you doing? But I watched this, and she's obviously in Texas. This is her home state. She's from Dallas. So she comes out, she gets a nice little pop. Mercedes Martinez, I've always, who's been. she's been around for a long time. And, you know, they did a promo package leading up to this match. And, People say, well, they have history from the shimmer promotion back in the day. And the thing is this who outside of wrestling fans like me and who study the business, or if you're a cat, but they know this, but if you're a casual fan, how would you know that if you not tell them on television? Promotion, promoting, 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 booking Tony, booking Tony, booking Tony. Jesus Christ, booking. But this is, this was actually really good though. I will admit I did like this. Uh, Athena hit her finish, the, the eclipse. I don't know if she's calling it eclipse anymore, but she hit the finish. One, two, three on Mercedes Martinez. They told a really good story. I actually enjoyed it. Next match we see is Swerve in Our Glory, Swerve, Strickland, and Keith Lee versus against Shane Taylor's promotions, Shane Taylor and JD Griffey. Now, I will make this point Swerve, Strickland is really good in the ring. Keith Lee, misused, misguided. I don't know how this guy's not in the main event on AEW television. Oh, I know why. I'm going to get into that in a minute. Shane Taylor promotions. Obviously, Shane Taylor for how he looks. Great facials, good promo, good solid worker. J.D. Griffin, I know he's legit, but he looks like dog shit. And plain and simple, they swerve and Keith Lee are having their dysfunction in the tag team. They're working back and forth, yada, yada, yada. Getting through it, getting through it, getting through it, getting through it. And basically, it's it's working out. They have a good match here. Shane, Taylor, and Keith Lee have a history with Ring of Honor, so they told the story of that. Once again, Ring of Honor fans know this, or wrestling fans like me who know it, know this. But the casual fan does not know this. Once again, Tony, you can't. This was thrown last minute on Rampage the night before, the taping before, on Wednesday, and nobody gave a shit about it. Nobody knew about it. If they had gave two or three weeks of booking on television with this, you might have gotten people really invested in this. But overall, I did like this and enjoy this match. Shane Taylor had a leg drop on the the apron with a swerve I liked. Keith Lee is a freak. I mean, some of the things he can do strength-wise is amazing. Um... Four men got in the ring, did some uh, got a little out of hand, and Keith Lee threw a forearm, and he could, he actually hit Swerve. Swerve knocked out. Knocked Swerve out for a second. Now, here's where I'm going to pick this apart now, as a, what I would like to see, what I thought would have made this match a little bit better. I did enjoy this, but I will state this. Keith Lee got the win when Shane Taylor and J.D. Griffey double teamed him. Uh, Shane Taylor, uh, Griffey went for, like I think, a pump kick or something, and he ducked, uh, Keith ducked, hit Shane Taylor. And then Shane Taylor rolls out of the ring. J.D. Griffey doesn't know where he's going. He hits. Keith Lee hits his finish. One, two, three. And then him, Shane, and Griffey embrace after the match. Where was Swerve at? And I'm getting to that. When Swerve got knocked out, he got back to his feet and climbed to the ring apron. And then he walked away slowly off camera. Here's the thing with that. This is what I would have done. The forearm I have no problem with. Here's the issue. What if Keith... What if Keith Lee... Shane Swerve stricken rolls out of the ring. He rolls out of the ring. As he rolls out of the ring, he's rolling out. He gets up. He's sit like get the camera where he's sitting up. Like what the hell just happened? He looks in the ring and have something going on where Keith's getting double teamed a little bit. And Swerve gets up and he throws his hands back and he walks away. Instead, they had him get up and walk to the ring apron, sitting there for the week, the the ring apron for two three minutes like a jackass, and then had him walk back. That just does not make sense. Like that's. Tony, that, that's bad booking, Tony. That gets misplacement. How does that make sense? Always oh, gonna get up at the ring, look at his guy like he just hit me in the face, I'm gonna stand here like a jackass for two three minutes, then I'm gonna walk away. How about teasing like he's gonna be back in the ring and then do if you did like the tease thing where he tag me and then he drops down, that's great. But here's the problem with this. That works, but it only that would only work if Shane Taylor and JD Griffey got the win over Keith Lee. Instead, Keith Lee got the victory. So, either way, uh, I just, I just, just first two or three matches, it, it's just like booking is just, just Jesus Christ, man. All right. Match number eight for the six man tag team match for the Ring of Our World Tag Team Championship. And I'm like, okay, the Embassy, you know, you got Brian Cage, the Gates, Anaconda, and Tyna Lona with Prince Nana. Nine. Prince Nana's been around for a while, good manager. Kana. Khan and Taillow look like badasses. Brian Cage looks like he's about to explode, but he looks incredible. And then I forgot who they're working against. Don Castle and the boys. Oh my god. Okay, look, I get the appeal for him. I understand it wholeheartedly. I get it. 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 And I don't understand. If you're a like if you're a Ring of Honor fan, I understand. You, there's a there there's something about him. My girlfriend came home from the gym and she sat down and watched this with me. And she saw the three the first three guys come in. She goes, she's like watching. She, okay, she's like okay, you know, six man tag. I'm telling her what the match is. And then Dolph has the boys come out. She goes, this looks stupid. I said, what do you mean? She goes, this doesn't make sense. Like what the hell? And she got up and walked out of the room. And I realized, I said this is the reason why people think wrestling's full of shit and phony because of stuff like this. On paper, I get the thing, but if visually, if Tony looked at this going, "Good lord, this match went ten minutes. It should have went about five minutes less." The belts got were put on the embastine. I don't remember the finish. I kind of toned out. I just remember them winning the match, and that's it. Don Castle and the boys. Don Castle by himself, I like. However. The boys gimmick, I think it just needs to change. Like it's not going to work. It just does not work. I remember when he showed up on AEW television a couple weeks ago to work with Jericho, and I thought they're bringing this fucking asshole. And I forgot he's bringing my world champion. But it's just whatever. I don't have a problem, but it's just like it should have been the point where Dalton Castle needs to be by himself. This boys, the with the boys thing, I just don't like it. Not at all. Match number nine of this well match number of nine including the, the power hour but match number four the main card Willard Yuta versus Daniel Garcia pure rules pure wrestling rules match for the ring of our pure championship now I like the rule the pure championship match where you only get three rope breaks there's a judging time limit there I mean I like this the problem is the two guys in the ring Willard Utah I get there's something that Mo- the Blackpool Combat Club and Tony Khan wanted to work with him. I- there's something they want to do. I guess he I don't know. They wanted something to do with him. I- and I don't I don't know. I mean he did have that match on Rampage with Moxie where he bled like a stuck pig. I get that. You know, Regal embraced him. I understand that. Blah, 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 blah. But what he's not char- charismatically, he's not great on the microphone. He's kind of a dull if you really look at him. And three. He can wrestle, but, you know, it's that's okay. That's fine, but what else can he do? He's never going to be a guy you put in and go, oh, they all push him put a, world, a, a bigger belt on him. No, he's going to be stuck in this situation for a while. After a while, if you're not promote pushing guys and making them move up and making believable credibility, it's not going to work. I would trust that, you know, maybe we could see more for him, but Tony Khan as a booker, you're not going to get that. And then Daniel Garcia. You know what makes me think of Daniel Garcia? The fact that he is a... A, a very solid uh in-ring worker. But you know what makes Daniel Garcia makes me think of Daniel Garcia and why I tone him out all the time every time I see him on television? Is they were doing the angle where he was working with Brian Danielson and he had just won the Ring of Honor Pure Championship, it was working, and people they were kind of getting behind him. And he beat Daniel Bryan Brian Danielson and fluky finish, but it you know they gave him a win. Here's the problem I got with Daniel Garcia. They were teasing the fact that he was going to turn on Jericho, the Jericho Appreciation Society, and his whole thing. And all I remember was him standing in the ring with Jericho, going back to the promo, talking about, Jericho, you don't understand. You robbed me of my dream of my match, one-on-one with Brian Danielson, my hero. Because Jericho interfered the match and won the match for him. <sighs> how in the hell is, is somebody going to turn to and like, wait a minute. He was robbed of a dream of having a match with him? I would have appreciated more if it came out of my mind and goes, you know what, Jericho? I had him one-on-one. I didn't need you to help me beat him. I had him beat one-on-one. Yeah, it's a dream match for me, but I wanted to whoop his ass. That's how you get a guy over with somebody instead of making him feel like a fucking pussy on television. Rob me in my dream. Let me explain this to you and... If you listen to a wrestling book or a guy who writes television knows, money, a grudge, a woman, or a belt will always draw more money in a situation with a storyline. You're robbing me of my dream of a match with Brian Danielson. Ugh, good God. I want to throw up. But uh, that being said, I did enjoy the match for what it was. Will Uta gets the win by a knockout with them fucking goofy-ass elbows at the Black Cool Combat Club throw. It just doesn't make sense. But they, he got the victory. Good for him. Match number 10. The match that made me buy this fucking pay-per-view. And by the way, Tony Khan, here's another thing. Either you better figure something out with Bleacher Report or get a streaming service or something on pay-per-view or some other way to buy this. Because if it keeps getting on Bleacher Report, I'm not going to buy the pay-per-views. I'm going to stop reviewing this shit. Because... Paying attention because it's ridiculous. I couldn't get the cast on my television. I got the airplay, but then the airplay quit working and I couldn't figure out. Then I had to watch my phone for fucking two hours on the show. It's just ridiculous. But this, I finally got my TV to work or the airplay to work on my phone for this match double dog collar match for the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Championships. The Briscoes, Jay and Mark Briscoe against FTR, Cashwood, Dax Hardwood. Two of the top three best tag teams in the world. Plain and simple. And I sat back with my legs kicked up and I was smiling and cheering and applauding and oohing and ahing the entire 22 minutes of this match. The Briscoes come out, they look like badasses. They look like wrestlers. They look like grown ass men that can throw a fight. FTR come out, they look like they're bad. They look like world champions. They look like they're somebody, they're credible. They worked the chain really well. They did a great job. They told a great story. There was blood everywhere. Blood blood makes money in this business. In professional wrestling, you got to have blood. Jay Briscoe bladed the living shit out of himself. He bled all over the place. At one point, Krapice and um, the Downs team were talking about Jay Briscoe might have, might have lost had his eyelid cut because you couldn't see one of Jay's eyes in the match. The referee got hit with the chain. The referee even got juice. And the commentators... Got real quiet on the mic and started talking like this, like the golf commentary, because oh shit, this is serious. They used weapons in the match, but it made sense. You know, Jay Briscoe hit a hell of a J-driller, Jay, Jay which is a Tiger pile driver. he uses it for a finish, on Dax, and Dax kicked out at two. They gave a hell of a finish. Cash Wheeler Mark Briscoe did a hell of a spot on the floor where... Mark went to lay cash on top of a table and Mark, he fucking grabbed the cane and threw Mark off the the, the top, the middle turnbuckle and he landed on the floor on the mat, but with a pile of chairs there. Um, they did a spot where Dax hit a hell of a pile driver on Jay Briscoe and he didn't get a full cover on him. He just used his legs to pin him and Jay kicked out. It, it was a good finish and he piled him on chairs. So you can buy that. Jay and Dax do a superplex about the top rope onto a pile of chairs. And before that, Dax did a diving headbutt off the second the second rope with the chain wrapped around a skull. I like that. And by the way, their believability with the chain, they worked the gimmick really well. They brought over the ring, they brought the ring, but they worked the gimmick well. They worked the match. Psychology, the booking was great on this. And then finally after the superplex spot and a slow cover, Dax kicks out. Jay wraps the chain around him like he's hog tying him. He starts choking him. And the referee calls the match because Dax passes out. I don't use the term five-star match. I hate using that term. But this was a five-star match and whatever. I literally in the back of my mind from our award show. I always had the back of my mind for match of the year, for my match of the year award. But this match right here, I got some thinking to do. I seriously do. It's a damn shame because here are two of the best tag teams in the world. One of them's on got all the belts except for the one that the, the company they work for because of we all know why. The Young Bucks put a, the, the, you know, the Elite and the Young Bucks put a stop to that. And the other tag team, the Briscoes, you know, everybody makes a big deal saying, well, they can't be on television because some of the shit Jay said on Twitter years ago about this and that, which he was wrong and he apologized for. And we all know that. But let me get this to you. That, can't, that guy can't be on television, but you put, you put Nick Gage, who was a convicted bank robber, on television. You've got drug addicts. You've got people that beat women. You've had all these guys on television, but you can't put two of these two guys on television who were believable that would sell you tickets in a heartbeat. You can't put them on TV. So, tell me something how that makes sense. How does that make sense? I'm calling bullshit because I really believe that the Elite, Matt, the, I'm sorry, the Young Bucks are putting a stop to this. Why are the two of the best tag teams in the world? Because we all know FTR and the Briscoes work circles, work circles around the Young Bucks. Period. If the Young, Believability like you watch the Young Bucks in the ring, you got to work a style match with them. And that's the only way it works. We're the Young Bucks. We're the best tag team in the game. No, you're not. Because if you were the best tag team in the game, the fucking people that are clamoring to you supposedly would it be turn the TV off? And if you were the best tag team world, you draw the money you think you do, and the way you act and everything else. Let's be honest with you. Why did every time you're on television, you lose a hundred thousand viewers every time because people don't want to see you or Omega. That's besides the point. I'm gonna get to that when I get the winners coming. So, plain and simple, that these two these these two tag teams had a great match. It was awesome. Oh, my God, I, I I want more out of them, but I don't think you can follow this. It's It was that damn good. And after the match, the Briscoes leave with the belts. Cash and Dax are getting up. They're getting an ovation. And then the the, the ass boys, the uh, Billy Guns kids, they run in. They lay them out and get some heat on because they, they're doing an angle with a promo with FTR. And then the Briscoes come back. And this is what I love about the Briscoes. They come down, they're buddy, they're not they don't run out of the ring, they run back to the ring. Jay and Mark Briscoe, they get there as soon as they can because they've been busted up and busted open. And when Jay gets in the ring, watch him, he gets in the ring, he slides it, and he gets to one knee and slowly gets up. Because he's just got through a war. And they run those guys off. And one of the, the uh the the uh, the guns got on the microphone says FTR legacy is dying and we will not stop till we kill it. They get off the ring and then Dax Harwood gets on the microphone and says, My goal and mission now is he's laying on the ground is to just to whip your ass or something like that. F top guys out. And then FTR and the Briscoes are literally, are literally standing there in the middle of the ring. And they embrace and they hold each other's hands up. To hell! Of a, these two guys have kept tag team wrestling, and the Usos as well. Those three teams right there have kept tag team wrestling going for the last five to six years. They've kept it going. Well, the Briscoes have been around for over a decade. God, man, I just I pray to God the Briscoes get their due one day because they deserve it. They fucking deserve it. That was the, not even the main event of the show. It should have been the main event. Should have closed the show with this, but we're gonna get into that in a minute. Samoa Joe versus Juice Robinson for the Ring of Honor World Television Championship right after this. And I will admit, I was not really into this. I mean, Joe I've always been a fan of. And Juice Robinson, I've always thought is a good hand. And they did a really good job of keeping the crowd alive with this. I mean, Juice robinsons a, he's a little bit bigger than he gives you credit. He's about 6'3", 6'4". And Joe did a hell of a job like he always does. It was, I mean, this was good. And I mean, Joe won with the muscle buster in 13 minutes, 40 seconds. They're building, obviously, to Joe and Wardlow. And hopefully that can get it going because everybody knows how I feel about what Tony Khan's done with Wardlow. Um, and then we get to the main event. Claudio Castagnoli versus Chris Jericho for the Ring of Honor World Championship. Um, good match. Jericho drops the title to Claudio in a, a solid match. But here's the thing. It, this title change would have meant more if people had saw it and promoted it. They promoted this match like Claudio was going to lose to Jericho. Nobody saw it. That was the problem. How many people turned... I want to know this. How many casual wrestling fans knew that Ring of Honor had a, a pay-per-view this this past couple Saturdays ago? How many knew? I guarantee you people said, I didn't know that. It's bad booking. So overall, half-empty arena on the biggest game in Ring of Honor's history. Opening match was a dud. The women's match was really good. Swerving goalie booking issues, but I did enjoy it. The, embassy, the, the, the right decision was made, but once again... On paper, um, visually, this looks stupid. Will you and Dan Garcia, tired of seeing it. Briscoe's and FTR, classic. Juice Robinson, Samojo, good for the position they put it in and the main event. Would have meant more if it was booked right. On a scale of 1 to 10, I'm going to give this a 6 out of 10. That's the lowest rating I'm giving to any pro wrestling show on here. And I'm sticking with that 6 out of 10. Now we're going to go to the AEW Winter is Coming special. Now I will admit... Tony Khan does a really good job with this where he gives us, um, you know, he he does, a, he, he will give us these, uh, <coughs> excuse me, he gives us the, um, you know, these monthly, every other soul monthly specials of, uh, monthly specials of, whatever, like monthly specials of, you know, like, like Clash of the Champions did back in the day for WCW, you know, little things like that. They, you know, they, they take full advantage of the issue. Uh, God, I can't even talk. <laughs> as I'm looking up these match results. Um, as much as they, you know, they talk about um, – what they've done and all this other shit. But at the same time. It, it's, it would be nice if they had. I know if they had. Um, if they had. Um, God Almighty, I can't even talk. If you know they would put more. Prom, like for example. Tony Khan booked this. And Final Battle back to back. And it's like. You didn't really know if you, you really did not know if this was going to be, if this show was going to deliver. Because let's be honest, a lot of people are sick and tired, are sick and tired of this. They're sick and tired of the, the little, the BS and everything else of what they've done. So, the opening of this show, I mean, obviously, they're in Garland, Texas, which is outside Dallas, and they do a whole little thing where. And I'm just going to run down the matches and some of the key points of this because I'm trying to find the results. All I can do is find the results. I can't find the full show synopsis of what happened. The opening match, the best of seven series for the six-man tag team titles, the trios titles. Uh, Death Triangle, which is Penta, Ray Phoenix, and Pac against the Elite, Kenny Omega, and Young Bucks. Now, I would let, like to say the Carry On Where Was Sun song by the Elite is cool, but we all know what that's about. That's a shot CM Punk. Look at, look at the lyrics and I will admit that out of all the matches they've had together, this has probably been the best one they've had. That being said, I'm still going to be critical of it. They did some selling points to this, but they got the they got the uh, submission on Nick Jackson. They told the story of Nick getting cracked the ankle with the hammer, and they did a good job. They, they're teasing Ray Phoenix, not being happy with the, the uh, Death Triangle's decision-making, and what they're doing. Now I will get to this. This is where I'm going to pick this apart. Why I did enjoy the match, and... In some form of flashes of what happened. This is what I don't get. It's the post-match thing. Kenny Omega gets on the microphone. And he goes, hey boys, just let you know, 3-1 come back, you've read sports. It happens well. Okay, first off, Omega, if you're going to get on the microphone, talk with some emphasis behind your voice. tell this little soft thing you got going on. The little soft voice and deep breaths you take and everything else. And then he says, well, why not? We just do it, you know, next match. And he gets this big, he goes like a minute extra on the mic, stating." Let's, let's make everything legal. Let's make the hammer legal, and let's make it no DQ for the next match. Okay, this is what I would have done. Kenny Omega says, hey, you boys think you got us. That's okay. 3-1 comebacks happen. 3-1 down deficits happen. You've seen comebacks in sports. Don't worry about it. said you guys want me to use a hammer, next week let's just make everything make legal. Let's just make this thing no DQ, and let's see what we all got. Instead of dragging it out, just say it like that. makes more sense. That's how you sell a point. Match number two, Jungle Boy Jack Perry versus Brian Cage. Now, remember what I said about Brian Cage winning the title, Ring of Honor World Tag Team, six-man tag team championships? They talked about it. But Jungle Boy Jack Perry gets the win on him in this. Now I'm going to pit This is where I literally came so fucking close to turn the TV off on this. And this is what happens. Jungle Boy, Jack Perry, and Brian Cage have a solid eight-minute match on television. They had a solid match. They're pushing Jungle Boy, and I get it. Jungle Boy gets on the microphone. He calls out Stokely Hathaway and the firm. Stokely Hathaway comes out with Lee Morinari and Big Bill. Here's the thing. You take W. Morrissey, big cast, change his name, Big Bill. How about this? How about Big Bill Morinari? Big, uh, Big Bill Martin Orty or Big W Bill or something. Just the Big Bill just sounds stupid. He comes out and they beat the, they get some heat on uh Jungle Boy. He gets uh Jungle Boy gets choke slammed and I'm thinking okay they're pushing the firm and then Action Bronson comes on the speakers and out comes Hook, Taz's son and I'm I like Hook. He's got a ways to go but I like Hook. Hook walks out and I literally thought to myself. What the fuck? Hook comes out storming the ring. He ain't got a weapon in his hand, or he's walking to the ring. And Lee Marinari and, and Big Cass fled. You're pushing Big Cass as this monster, and you got him backing down from a five foot eight, hundred and seventy pound, you know, cruiserweight. Cass is seven feet tall, damn and almost over three hundred pounds, and you got him backing down from that. I'll tell you one thing. If Vince McMahon was booking that shit, that shit wouldn't happen. There'd be a different story to tell. There'd be somebody else telling. That's what happens when you got a guy like Tony Khan who does not know what the fuck he's doing half the time. That is bad booking. Hor- a solid match got ruined by a horrible segment. That is ridiculous. And I never thought I would praise Vince McMahon recently on the show, but I'm going to. That is fucking bad booking. You go back and watch that and still go, we'll fire our own time. No. What you should have had is the rest of- as. Stokely and and, Hath- uh, Stokely and uh, what I would have done is have Stokely and Lee Marinari right there trying to calm Kaz down or Big Bill or have other guys. First off, have the whole fucking firm out there and hold him back and tell him, come on, man, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. It's just stupid fucking. Or have, how about this? It may have better. Kaz, um, Hook comes down with a fucking piper a chair in his hand and Kaz, they're holding Kaz back Kaz, and Kaz has got his eyes on him. There's different ways to do that. God man. Ugh. Alright, next match on the card. The six six-man tag match with the house of black versus Keith versus the factory. They got the house of black interest down. Fine. Julia Hart is a mixture between a character from Dr. Sleep and Stevie Nicks, so I like that. Malachi Black, I think, is money. Brody King is a good big man in today's wrestling. And Buddy Matthews is criminally underrated, in my eyes. I never realized how good he was. The Factory, QT Marsh is a good hand. Aaron Solo and Cole Carter are never going to be anything. But here's the thing. They win this. They, they have a big brawl on the outside. They beat him up. Basically, the, the heel faction that the House of Black are, the devil worshippers, are basically the babyfaces in this. And the Factory's haven't been a bunch of jobbers. doesn't make sense. Here's the thing. Nick Camarado looks, is the guy on the outside. I'm thinking, what in the hell did this guy do not to get pushed? The guy has a million-dollar look. He looks like Hercules Hernandez. Look up Hercules Hernandez. Look up Nick Camarado. You'll see the similarities when I'm going with I just don't get it. Don't get it. And here's the tull- talking point of this right here. Chris Jericho is getting a lot of praise online. He's going to take on a guy. He's going to take on a jobber tonight. I do remember this from the promo. He talks about he's going he's gonna to do a match with a jobber. And basically, he's going to talk about, you know, I'm going to beat up a jobber. He talks about his Ring of Honor world title loss that nobody remembers because nobody knew about it or saw it. And he's, talks, he, he's talking about what he's going to do, what he's going to do to this jobber tonight. Action Andretti. And Jericho goes out there, has a competitive match with Action Andretti, and puts him over. Okay, everybody's comparing this to the 1-2-3 kid angle from 1993 at Razor Ramon, or they're comparing it to the match with um, uh, Shelton Benjamin and Triple H had on Raw years ago. Here's the thing. Jericho went on his podcast the day after and talked about what he did for this young man, what he saw, he's a star. It was just something for Jericho to shake his ego about. Here's what happened. There's, let me tell you why this is different than the other two, and why people were jumping to conclusions. For one, the one, two, three kid had been on television, done a couple jobs, and the way he beat Razor Ramon was with a moonsaw off the top rope. And you go back and look, his knee hit Razor in the head, and he pinned him one, two, three in the middle of the ring. And it was a shock. Shelton Benjamin was a legit NCAA heavyweight of all, one of the, was legit NCAA. Uh, uh, on the he was a legit athlete on the Minnesota Wrestling for the NCAA and he was on the same team as Brock Lesnar. Yes, the Brock Lesnar. I don't know why I said it, but I just did. <laughs> he had a legit match and he beat Triple H which Triple H took him lightly and beat him with outside interference and everything else on a Schoolboy. Actually, Andretti just beat a Hall of Famer flat in the middle of the ring a guy who just won a, a ring of our world title had beat him flat. Nobody knows. Those guys have been on television. Action Dre has never been on television. If Action Dre had been on TV and gotten close in a couple matches and had a story to tell, or if he beat Jericho the way the 1-2-3 the kid, Sean Waltman, beat Jericho, beat Razor like he, the Jericho got beat, it might get over, but it's not going to get over. I'll tell you why. Sean Waltman was 6 feet tall in an era. Razor, Scott Hall was six, six. Action Dre is about five, eight. Jericho was about 5'10". It just, visually, it's not going to get over. Now, the crowd, I mean, you yeah, had the crowd panting, let's go jobber. It's like, so already you're going to kill this kid by chanting that. Nobody at home is going to take him seriously because I saw that on TV. I'm like, what the fuck? Click, turn it off. It's not going to work. And then Jericho's shown backstage throwing the weakest temper tantrum I've ever seen in my life. So maybe actually, but there was nothing there. Facially, I saw where I'm like, he can be a great babyface. There's nothing there, nothing there. Just a guy that does another another guy that like on the uh, on the roster does a bunch of flips. Everybody else does flips. Like, can we get somebody different on the show? Oh, I forgot. Everybody that is does do something differently. Does do something they don't get pushed. No wonder why Cody left. Anyway, oh, I'm gonna talk about some segments here on promo segments before I get into the next match on the card, but. You know, MJF cut a hell of a promo leading up to the, the world title match with Ricky Starts. Ricky Starts cut a promo on MJF at match and but he guaranteed victory tonight. He'd be world champion. I promise I'll be the, one, the winner of the world title. Ricky, here's the thing if, unless you know you're going to win by the booking, you never say it on television. You kill your credibility. That's the only mistake Ricky Starts made in that promo. Jamie Hayter and Akita, Akita She previewed their world, their women's world title match. Hader hits hard. I like that catchphrase, Jamie Hayter. I think she's money. Uh, Sky Blue and Britt Baker went back and forth a little bit on the microphone. They're going to do a match on Rampage. Uh, Britt Baker did pick the win up on Rampage. I know I'm not going to review Rampage. Um, We've seen the Black Cool Combat Club do a prom, program, uh, promo about how 2023 is going to be their year. Claudio and, and you know, um, um, Will you're holding the world, the Ring of Honor world titles? Maybe they should talk about how Ring of Honor is going to be on Honor, is going to be on a Weekly Show on Honor Club, and they're going to promote it. But start talking about AEW instead. And then you got John Moxley cutting one of his promos about how he's going to kick Sammy Guevara's ass on Rampage, which he did. And he does a promo on, um, <clears throat> on, um, he did a need promo on Hangman Page about how you know Hangman hey, wants to bring him Dark Order, but he's got a problem with me or something like that. The fifth match of this night, Ruby Silver's Ty Mello, and I literally fast forward to the finish of this. I didn't want to see this. And Ruby got the win, and then Anna J came out and they left Ruby Lane. I just fast forward. I was just ready for it. And then um, we get the main event, MJF versus Ricky Starts for the, the Ring of Armor. For the Ring of honor, AEW World Championship. And this was really good. I like the finish. You know, Ricky Starts hit MJF with a spear. They did a lot of work. MJF is becoming a really cocky heel that people are getting behind. I like that. Um, just solid work. And, and by the way, Ricky Starts for his size and what he is, Ricky Starts has charisma and can work. He can work. His size bothers me, and he's having he had a broken neck too. That worries me too. But MJF looks incredible. Uh what he MJF is just money. The guy is just fucking money. And MJF. Got the referee involved in the middle of him, hit him with a low blow, and hit a, a inside cradle for a one-two-three. And it wins. MJF is gloating. He walks in the ring, and then Daniel, Brian Daniels' music hits. He comes out, he chases MJF throughout the ring, to through, through the arena. MJF runs through the, the barricades, up the stairs. And then at the end of the show, we see Ricky Starks, uh Brian Danielson, hold Ricky Starks hand up, acknowledging what a match he did. Here's my issue with this. Brian Danielson wants to get revenge for William Regal after MJF laid him out. Why do you have to wait till your music gets placed? Why can't you just run down the ring? I can't... All wrestling does that, but I'm just saying, like, why... All wrestling does that, but I'm just... I don't understand. Like, if I had a grudge something, I'm not going to let somebody hit my fucking music. I'm going to wait till he gets up the ring, and I'm going to go jump his ass. Overall, though... <sighs> Opening match was really good, but the post-promo took me out of it. Jungle Boy, Jack Perry, solid match, but a piss-poor booking after that ruined that for me. House of Black, I get the point of it, but at the same time, I don't get some things they do. Actually, Dre, Chris Jericho would have meant more if it had better booking. Ruby Soho and Ty Mello didn't really watch it. MJF and Sparks was good. Overall, on scale 1 out of 10, I'm going to give them a 4 out of 10. This is probably the worst show I've seen all year they've done. Didn't like it. So, yeah. Sorry, AEW fans and Ring of Honor fans, you probably turned this out like you're just a homer. You're doing <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I just don't like it. I didn't like it at all. <sighs> oh man. So what's up? Now we got that out of the way. That was supposed to be the bonus episode, and I went into more details in the bonus episode, but obviously that didn't happen. So what is going to be the next thing for me to talk about coming up? Because we don't have a lot. Well, last everybody knows the Avatar movie's out. I didn't. I actually went to the movies last night. Saw a movie, but I didn't see the Avatar film. I'm waiting. I'm gonna go Christmas weekend and see that. Instead, girlfriend and I, little man, for whatever reason, and her decided, and we all decided we wanted to see it, something different. And we went and saw Violent Night, the new David Harbor film, where he is playing Santa Claus. I'm gonna review that, but I'm gonna talk about some other things. And I'm gonna talk about I'm gonna talk about the Louisville Cardinals. Obviously, so we know my boys got that big win, got that bowl win against Cincinnati. Brought the cake of nails. The keg of nails barrel back home where it belongs. Hey, Scotty Satterfield, have fun with Cincinnati because you'll be fired within three or four years there because you won't win or succeed there. Just saying. Jeff Brom is looking really good. He's already got four commits or, or he's got Jeff Brom has already hit the transfer portal and the recruiting thing. He's flipped two guys from Purdue. Both guys are from Louisville, played at Louisville, and he brought two guys home. He brought two flip. He got two transfers. One for Penn State, a kid from Indiana and another guy from out there at Stanford who played at Trinity High School. So three of the guys he's brought home are from Louisville. People got to realize something. All those Louisville teams that won nine or ten games a year and went to the BCS Bowls, 20 to 30% of those guys played at Louisville. That's how it, those teams were built. Yes, they had guys from Florida here and there, but they had guys from Louisville, and that matters. Jeff is going to recruit and stay at Louisville, and nobody going to get out of state. Anybody better – you know, I got Rondell Morgan to Purdue, for God's sakes. That shit stops now. Now, let's talk about Kenny Payne. And the uh, University of Louisville. Louisville got their first two wins over the over last week. They got a win against Western, one of our rivals. I mean, Western plays us tough every year, even though we've won the majority of the games, but they always play us tough. It's always going to be like, oh, man, Western's going to give us problems. Now, I also had a big, uh, had a really, 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 really uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Also, uh, they played 4 at a and on Saturday, and I watched that, and Louisville has talent on that team, but I feel like either conference, confidence is shot, I don't know if what it is, or Mac beating them to death, I don't know. But every time they would get that, they got the lead in that game, and they never lost it, and I'm happy with that. But problem is, they had that game up to 12 points, 13 points, and they should have got to 20-25. And Kenny Payne said best in a press conference, you know, the Florida a.m. coach told me you might overlook us. And he goes, Pain goes I don't know how we go look at anybody. I think Kenny Payne is going to succeed at the Universal. Level. In two years, he's going to turn this program around. I do believe after the allegations and everything else is over, he can start hitting those recruiting trails hard and start showing guys and getting guys to come here. He gets guys to come here, it happens. Now, everybody's on Kenny Payne's ass about everything, and I get that. I understand because, you know, they're struggling. But you know the moment the guy wins a fucking game, he goes, "Well, this should happen years ago. This should happen months ago." I get that, but also Sidney Curry getting in shape is a big thing. Sid, thank God, man, he's got Sid on a diet, and that's on him. Sid, Sid needs to do this. This needs to happen. He's got to be in shape. When Sidney Curry, the, look at these two games. Sid's been effective in, and look, we've won. We won a game by double digits, double digits against Western Kentucky. He had ten points, five roots, and we won a nail bar against four AM and eighth. Four AM has got a bad record, but they played a lot of teams tough. So, and look what happened. He had 13 points and 19 rebounds, and we won the game because of Sid's efforts, because of him hitting the glass. You know, they, Louisville's got a lot of talent, man. They, they're better than what they are, man. And I think they're going to roll. We got a game this Tuesday against Lipscomb, and we got a game Thursday against NC State on the road. And then we win those two games. Then I'm going to preview because New Year's Eve, that Saturday, we got the big one. We got Kentucky. And I'm going to make this real clear to everybody out there. Why do – I'm going to make this – everybody asks me this question all the time. What is the big deal with Louisville Kentucky? Why do you guys hate each other so much? Because we're Louisville and they're Kentucky. That's why. We don't like each other. We don't like each other. I have family members I won't speak to because they're fans of Kentucky, and they won't speak to me because I'm a Louisville fan, and I don't want to speak to them. I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to sit down and have lunch with them. I don't want to have a beer with them. I don't want to be around them. I was at Applebee's – I'll tell you this story. I was at Applebee's watching – the NCAA tournament. No, what was that? Yeah, I was watching the NCAA tournament. I was watching Memphis versus Gonzaga. It was on Crawfordsville Road out there in Speedway. People know where I'm talking about it, from the Indianapolis area or been through the Indianapolis area. You know where I'm at. I'm sitting there having a beer, having a blue moon, you know, having a blue moon, a tall blue moon, having some buffalo chicken wings because Arby's has got damn good wings. I mean, not Arby's, Applebee's, excuse me. Having some chicken wonton tacos, some mozzarella sticks, and having a whiskey bacon burger. That's I was hungry that night, boys. <laughs> I was hungry, and I'm sitting across the bar, and this guy's sitting across me. He's got a a gray top, like gray zip up sweater on, and he's doing the L's down thing in front of me. I'm thinking, what the fuck is that for? I'm thinking, okay, it's gonna be funny. And I realize he had a Kentucky Kentucky logo hood. He goes, hey man, how you doing? I'm you know I'm a Kentucky. He goes, and then he gets up, and walks over, and goes, man, I'm just giving you shit. I said, do get away from me. I said, get the fuck away from me. He goes, man, I was just joking. I said, I don't play that shit, man. I said, dude, get that shit. I said, dude, get that away. I said, you don't do that shit to people. You know damn well what that does to people. And he says, look, man, I'm just trying to talk. I said, dude, if you want this blue moon bottle upside your fucking head, you'll leave me alone. Or glass, excuse me. I told him. And the bartender made him sit his ass down. He'd been drinking a little bit. I don't want to talk to you. Like I remember four or five years ago when the whole FBI issue with Louisville came out. I was at BJ's Brewhouse in Avon. The reason why I don't go to BJ's Brewhouse anymore in Avon. There was a guy there who was drunk running his fucking mouth. And I told him he was going to swallow a liquor bottle if he kept talking to me. Leave me alone, man. I don't go to places looking for trouble. Trouble finds me, and it's always about Louisville. You know, Louisville always gets a shit. I was watching Cincinnati there, night. they got a sack against us. After we kicked, we were kicking their ass, we beat them twenty four to seven, I believe. Yeah, it was twenty four to seven. We beat them, and we were up we were up fourteen. We were up we were up twenty one to seven on them. They got a sack on us, and the guy gets up there throwing the L's down thing. It's like, are you guys that obsessed with us? Jesus Christ, people are obsessed with us. I went to Indiana Louisville game years ago. The Fans are doing that there. I'm like y'all are just ah competitive in sports. Let's throw the L's down. Let's just show off. Uh, L's down. Uh. You guys look like a bunch of fucking retards. Shut up. Y'all look so retarded doing that shit. Like what? What is wrong with y'all? So stupid to do that shit and just whatever, man. Cry me a river. <laughs> oh. And then I get, and I love the ones here in Indiana where they go, "Well, you're a Louisville fan. Why you live in Indiana, though, dumbasses?" I was raised in Louisville, Kentucky. If you go down to Southern Indiana, there are more Louisville and Kentucky fans down there than they are, than they are than Indiana fans. There just is like a, like you go to you go to Madison, Austin, Scottsburg, shit, especially Madison. My God, there's more Louisville fans down there than the Kentucky fans. You guys always talk. Just shut up. Then the other night, you know, I watched Kentucky play against UCLA. You know, the gift that keeps on giving because we had a couple good days. And also, I want to stop real quick. To the women's volleyball team at Louisville, they lost in a national title game against Texas. Hey, look, it is what it is, girls. Had a hell of a run. You got to the national final, and you went well, national runner-up. Just build on it. The city was behind you. They sold out. They were selling out the Yum Center for the volleyball team, for God's sakes. Now, Obviously, they had the top blacked out, but they had 10, 11,000 people in there in a, for a volleyball game. just shows you what that city supports University of Louisville, what it does when you win. Kenny Payne will win. Jeff Brom's going to win. And I want to make this clear to these Kentucky fans that want to talk about football the last four or five years, but nobody wants to talk about the previous 10 to 12 years we were kicking your guys' ass every year. Nobody wants to talk about that. That shit's over because you know those Kentucky fans, they saw when Brom got hired. And here's another thing. I don't understand this. I never go to Lexington for a, Louisville, a Kentucky basketball game or football game. I never do. Why in the fuck do Kentucky fans sh- go... I'm sorry, I hit my microphone. Why do Kentucky fans always go to Louisville games? Why do you guys waste your fucking money? What? There's a guy, Nick Coffey. i am never never been a big Nick Coffey fan. I apologized to him on the show before, but the way he acts on Twitter, I regretted that apology. Nick Coffey was interviewing guys, and he came a Kentucky Kentucky He And the Kentucky fan... And, you know, I hate to say typical Kentucky fan, but typical Kentucky fan, hillbilly camo hat on, blue shirt that looks like he's had for 30 fucking years, and he says, I'd rather trust Saddam Hussein running United States of America than be a Louisville fan. You know how much of a dumbass you sound saying that? Like, shut up. So fucking stupid. Like, there's only one Kentucky fan. That I've ever gotten along with, and that—well, I actually take it back. I've really never got. I've got. I, we're cool. We're cordially each other, but we, we butt heads all the time. So really, there's not really one I get along with to be honest. You fully. <laughs> Sorry, man. Win lose tie. I'm five o two till I die. I don't acknowledge the state of Kentucky. I acknowledge the city of Louisville. That's it. And I always will be like I like Bowling Green. It's nice. It's a nice town. You know, but Eastern Kentucky, I go, you know why I go through, you know, I take that back. I do go through Eastern Kentucky. You know why I do that? To go through, get to Tennessee, get to Gatlinburg, get to Knoxville, because that's beautiful. The rest of that shit, <clears throat> sorry. Might stop Richmond and Bucky's. so that's about it. Sorry, y'all. But that rant's over with. But anyway, good weekend to be a Louisville fan. Now let's get into today's review. And we're going to pull this up. Me and the girlfriend and little man last night went and saw Violent Night. Violent Night. Um, and it was, you know, I'm a big fan of like uh, Christmas movies and I always like a good action flick. But I saw the trailer for this and I was like, David Harbor of Santa's Claus. And they say he's a badass Santa Claus. I said I have to see this, and I also saw that John Leguizano was in this. Alex, Hel- Hel- John Leguizamo. Le- 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 I can't say his name, but he—you know who the guy is. He played the the violin in the uh, in the the uh, Spawn movie from years ago. But you know this—it centers around. Um, Basically, this family that has a bunch of money, and these host- these these mercenaries are trying to come in and get this money. And Deborah Harrow is a legit Santa Claus. He comes in and drops gifts off, and you find out that um, there's, you know, the opening of this I love where he's in a bar drinking in the, in England. And he's and the woman goes, you know, and she goes, I'm taking a break, and another guy comes in. He's an English guy who plays Santa Claus for kids. He's talking about, you know, they're going back and forth and joking. And Harbro's talking like he's a Santa Claus. And like he's a legitimate Santa Claus, but he's being funny like nobody believes him. And he goes up the top roof. And the woman at the bar is like going along with him like, you can't be driving your drunk. He goes, oh, I got I got reindeer that will slay me. I'll be all right. All right leave me. I'll be all right. And basically, David Harbro. Leaves and she goes and he hands this woman the gift. Goes, hey, this is your little boy one, that gift or whatever. She goes, how did you know my grandson's name or whatever? And she chases him and she sees him leaving on the the reindeer sleigh. She goes, oh my god, he was real. And then as he does it, he leans over, throws up on her. So I thought that was good humor to start out. But I will let you know this: I am a David Harborough fan for things he's done on Stranger Things. I think he did a hell of a job in Hellboy, and I thought he got way too much shit for that. But this made me a more of a fan for him. So you find out that he is, in his real life, he was a, he's a Christmas, you know, he's a former Viking warden named Nikon the Red. And he tells a story about how things work and, you know, how he does things. And you get to this big, you go to the next thing, you, you go to the Grinch, Connecticut to see this family, the Lightstones that deal with all this stuff. And they're a grumpy ass Family. family. They're just a grumpy like family. They don't get along dysfunctional greed and selfishness. And then of course you get the um, you know, you get to meet the mercenaries, and every one of them, like John Glasmill, he calls himself Mr. Scrooge. You know, Brandon Fletcher, his, you know, his lead henchman, he calls himself Crump is Andre Harkinson is Gingerbread. Um Alex Randy has uh, you know um I'm sorry, gingerbread. Like you get and then you get like Commander Torp, Candy Cane, Sugar Plum. So all the mercenaries have different names, so I like it. You get to meet the Lightstone family. You know <clears throat> um, Alex Hanslin, Jason Lightstone, Grutru's son, who is considered, or, who is considered her favorite. Uh, Alexis Lauder as Linda, Ma- Linda Matthews as you know Jason's estranged wife, who is forced to spend the holidays at the house. You get Eddie Paxson as Levy, as um, Grutru's hard drinking daughter, who wants to take the family over CEO. She's g- greedy, selfish. Cam Gunnan as Morgan Steele. He is this wannabe action star, and he is fucking comical with the things he does in this film. Leah Braley as Trudy Lightstone, the daughter of Jason Lena, And then you get Beverly D'Angelo as Gertrude Lindstone, who I've seen before in films. And she's done a lot of, like, she was in American History X. She's been in uh, just a lot of smaller films, but she's been in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, which I remember her from. She's in Vegas Vacation. So she's been around for a while. But they do a good story. And by the way, the score had a fill the 90s. And also, you find out how much of a badass David Harborough is in this because he is doing things with the with with these mercenaries that I'm like, oh, oh, like even like maybe I should have thought about taking my 10-year-old kid to this. But obviously it didn't happen because he wanted to see it. So I was like, ah, oh, he's 10 years, I'll be fine. And we had a blast watching this. Now, it's not a perfect film, it has its flaws, but I will say this: they do some homages to like home alone stuff, violent film. And Harbro is hilarious about being funny. His interaction with his reindeer, like comment shits on the roof. He gets mad about that. And then they end up um David Harbro, the way he swing, he has a hammer in his hand, he swings around. It's awesome. Um the score is really good. Now, key points in this film I want to get into. The the way um he kills him, he like He, he, at one point in the film, Harrow grabs like ice skating shoes and he slashes their necks and shit. It's pretty awesome. Um, I just was really wild by this. Like this is one of the films like I needed to see this and I'm glad I saw it. Because I obviously at the end of the year, I'm going to do my top 10 films of the year. And I'm glad I'm going to have this in it. Because this will be in this, I guarantee it. There's no way in hell it won't be. I had a good time with this. I mean, it was it. You know, I laughed. It was. It was. There was great acting. This Harbo, he made you mad, laugh, and cry. He can make you cry in this film. He made you mad about damn dude. Like, don't give up on him or shit like that. But I need the kills were very creative, and there is good CGI in this. Like usually action films, they, they cross the borderline with the CGI, but it's really good. And there's and I would love to see a sequel because they they tease who Mrs. Claus is, and I like to see it. I think it'd be awesome, but. Overall, guys, I wish I could have gave you more. Because I, I usually take notes on these films. But I was having such a great time in the theater watching. this. I didn't take much notes. So I'm just going to tell you this. Go out and see this. Please go see this film and support it. And if it does come home, buy it and add it. On a scale of 1 to 10, I'm going to give this film a solid 9 out of 10. It was a damn good action flick. And it's going to become one of my favorite Christmas movies. It's going to become a go-to to watch at Christmas for Christmas every year now. So anyways... So pretty much that's going to wrap today's show up. I'm going to have, and also I forgot to mention, I saw, I've not seen Black Adam yet. Black Adam is now on HBO Max, so you know what that means, right? I got a review coming. So basically tomorrow I'm going to watch Black Adam at home, and I'm going to give you a Black Adam review. And I'm going to say Tuesday, obviously, because it will record on Tuesday. I'm going to give you a full review of Black Adam. I'm also going to talk about the Sturt and State of D.C., and I'm going to rank the D.C.E.U. that it's involved with this film chronologically. So anyway, until this bonus, and that will be dropping Friday, I promise you that that will happen, no matter what. But tune in, guys, this Wednesday to listen to this episode, and tune in Friday to listen to the State of D.C. episode I will be dropping. And just remember, guys, I don't bullshit, I just tell it like it is, straight up, Merry Christmas, everyone. Ho, 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 and a hammer.